The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning, dear students. It's nice to see everybody, um, our first chapel after fall break. And um, when I think of the words of that song and I think about uh, God's deep affection for us that goes beyond, obviously, emotion or feeling, uh, we're just so grateful uh, for God's grace that he extends to us that um, we can love him because he first loved us. And this morning, I want to think about it from our perspective to him of our affection, our deep affection for him and what that might mean in we can love him because he first loved us. Um, the love that, the affection that goes beyond feeling and emotion. And so this morning I'd like to, uh, before Dr. Williams speaks, I'd like to pray a prayer that comes from, written by Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard uh, in his book called purity of heart is to will one thing. And the one thing that he's talking about, when he's talking about purity of heart, he isn't necessarily talking about a moral purity or something to that effect, but he's talking, when he talks about this purity of heart, he really means the single-mindedness of heart, the single-mindedness of our hearts in willing what God wills. And so um, when we listen to Dr. Williams bring the word this morning as to what God wills, I would pray that um, each one of us always does examine our hearts in terms of that we would be called to that single-mindedness of heart that goes beyond feeling, that goes beyond emotion. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, who are we without you? What is all that we know vast accumulation though it might be, but a chip fragment if we do not know you. What is all our striving? Could it even encompass a world but a half-finished work if we do not know you? You the one who is one thing, who is all. So may you give to our intellect wisdom to comprehend that one thing, to the heart sincerity to receive this understanding, to the will, purity that wills only one thing. In prosperity, may you grant perseverance to will one thing. Amid the so many distractions of life, collectedness to will one thing. In suffering, patience to will one thing. Oh Lord, you who give both the beginning and the completion, may you early at the dawn of the day give to the young person the resolution to will one thing. As the day wanes, may you give to the old person a renewed remembrance of their first resolution, that the first may be like the last, the last like the first, in possession of a life that has willed only one thing. And O oh, you who give both the beginning and the completion, give victory in the day of our need so that what our burning wish nor their, our determined resolution may attain to may be granted in the souring of repentance to will only one thing. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. A man who needs no introduction, our president, Dr. Williams. Would you give him a warm welcome? Well, good morning. It's uh, 
Good to be with you this morning, and uh, good to have you back from break. And uh, want to again just express to you what I've been expressing to uh, you all along is how appreciative we are of how you as students are handling this year. For those of you that are in the room, for those that are joining via live stream, uh, we really do appreciate you. We thank the Lord for you, and we trust and pray uh, that you had a good and refreshing break and have come back ready to go. I want to jump in this morning to continue the series that I've outlined for the year on taking one another seriously. Uh, and uh, we started with that look in, uh, in the New Testament, Paul's exhortation that we would uh, have the mind of Christ, that is, that we would consider others more important than ourselves, that we would look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. And then we moved on from there to talk about the biblical command to love one another and what that means. So this morning, what I want to do is continue with that series, focusing on a specific aspect of our relationship to one another, taking one another seriously, and our responsibility to encourage and exhort one another. Now, that, that, that command, that exhortation to exhort and encourage one another is, is, is an important one. It is, it's a command in Scripture. It's an outworking of our Christian faith. But it is inextricably tied to what we've been talking about so far. It's tied to our love for one another, and it's tied to our otherness, our, our looking after the interests of others and the significance of others. There's a passage of Scripture that I want to read, two passages of Scripture from uh, the epistle to the Hebrews that sets the framework for this. And so I want to read uh, two sections of verses, uh, first from chapter 3 and then from chapter 10. Uh, they're probably familiar passages for many of you. And then uh, tease out a few uh, thoughts and ideas related to our taking one another seriously, what it means for us to live our life together as Christians, but particularly uh, in the days in which we find ourselves. This letter to these Hebrew Christians is written, as many of you know, with a specific intention. These Christians had come to faith in Jesus Christ out of Judaism and were tempted to return to both the sacrificial system and the culture of Judaism, that it had become too hard and too difficult to live out the Christian faith, and the temptation was to return to something else, to veer off track, as it were, from the gospel of grace, and to return to Judaism, to try to hold on to being a Christian and a follower of Jesus, but continue in their Judaism, return to their Judaism, be re-embraced by their family, their friends, their culture. It was getting difficult to live the Christian life in the world that they found themselves in. And so this letter is full of warnings and exhortations about not drifting, about not turning, about not giving up your faith in Jesus Christ and returning to the ways of the law. And so this writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes some very pointed things about the Christian relationship to one another in the midst of all of that. And those are the passages that I want to focus on today, particularly related to this idea of encouragement and exhortation. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning at verse 12, says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And then in chapter 10, beginning at verse 23, as the writer moves to the end of the letter, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, 
not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In both of these passages, there's this clear idea that we have a responsibility to one another. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to one another, to care for one another in the faith, to encourage and to exhort one another, to stir one another up to love and good deeds. These should be familiar passages to you, and I would encourage you to read over them again and again because it's very apropos to the days in which we find ourselves. The, the temptation to give up assembling together, to meeting together, to talking together, to, in, to speaking into one another's lives. As we're forced to this more remote way of life, this is a very powerful exhortation. Remember that we are one in Christ and we need to care for one another. And so these two passages speak directly to this idea, and I want to tease a few thoughts out with regard to this aspect of the one another, to encourage and to exhort one another. You know, when I was coming up and being discipled as a young Christian, this was a very important aspect of what we talked about. We, we would talk a lot about encouraging one another. There were, I remember uh, living and working at the camp where I was, we would have encouragement days, which meant everybody was supposed to be nice to one another on those days. And then we had exhortation days where you wanted to stay in your room because you knew someone was coming to confront you, right? That idea that we would encourage one another means being nice to one another, and exhorting one another meant being rough on one another, and somehow we got ourselves a little off track in that, because the Bible often uses these terms interchangeably. And it is very Christian to be encouraging and to be exhorting one another, but encouraging and exhorting one another requires care. It requires willingness and an other orientation. Because if we don't have those things, if we're not acting out of Christian love, if we're not doing it because we care for one another, if we're not willing to do it in the way that the Bible teaches us to do it, if we're thinking not about the other when we do it, then we find ourselves very quickly off track. And to be perfectly honest, not just off track in terms of we're not doing as well as we could, I would make the argument that we're actually doing damage. That when we are encouraging and exhorting one another in the wrong way, failing to do it at all, or doing it in the wrong way, we're not just missing an opportunity, we're actually doing damage. Because if we're not building up Christians in the faith, we are actually engaged in tearing down. And so this is an absolutely essential part of our life together, to encourage and exhort one another. And I would underscore for you this, that our willingness to exhort and to encourage one another in meaningful and biblical ways, is directly tied to our putting the interests of others ahead of our own and following Jesus' example. Going back to the beginning of the semester in that passage where we talked about in Philippians that, that we would consider the humility of Christ, that we, would, that we would count others as more significant than ourselves and put others' interests ahead of our own, not looking only to ourselves but to the interests of others. That's absolutely essential to this. We have to actually commit ourselves to those things, and when we do, then we find ourselves much more willing and able to exhort and to encourage one another, because the issue is we, we, are, we find ourselves unwilling to do it. But the Bible teaches if we care for one another, if we love one another, if we understand our oneness, then we're following the example of Jesus Christ, we'll find ourselves willing to exhort and encourage one another in biblical ways that are meaningful. 
I would say not only is our willingness to exhort tied to that, but our motivation to exhort and encourage one another in meaningful and biblical ways should be our Christian love for one another. In the last message when I was with you, and we talked about what it meant to love one another, to actually love one another in a Christian way, in the biblical sense of it. Well, that's the motivation for wanting to speak into one another's lives. It doesn't take a lot of love to tell someone how great they are. It takes a lot of love to be willing to sit and to be specific, to embolden someone, to, to, to increase their courage. And that's really what it comes down to, is understanding what the Bible means by these terms is very different than the, the, the culture's understanding of these terms. Encouragement is, is something that is deep and robust and meaningful. It's tied to the idea of edification in the New Testament, the building up of believers. And the Bible's pretty clear about this, that when we build one another up, the body gets built up. There's this idea that if I build you up and you're building me up and we're encouraging and edifying and exhorting one another, that the body gets strengthened. It's like the, the picture of, remember in, in the New Testament, this idea of building up as living stones into a temple for God. It's like laying bricks. It's one on top of two. You have two bricks. You put one over the seam. And every time that one goes on top of two, the wall gets stronger. So what the Bible is suggesting here is that as we exhort one another and encourage one another and build one another up and spur one another on to love and good deeds and stir one another up in that way, the whole body gets stronger. When we look at the state of the church or our evangelical communities or problems that we're having, uh, 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 it, it's really an interesting thing to think about. Maybe when we see this breakdown, when we see this failure, it's because we're failing to build one another up, to strengthen one another. But I don't think that means we're not involved in what we think is encouragement because I hear it all the time. And one of the things I would challenge you to think about is this, that encouragement isn't flattery or complimenting or patting someone on the back. It's speaking truth to and acting towards one another in ways that strengthen, build up, and produce courage, where the word comes from. It's not enough to flatter someone. That's not biblical encouragement. What the writer of Hebrews is doing is writing to a group of Christians who are, who are being so tempted to give up their faith that what he means when he says encourage one another is this, don't you dare give up. You've come this far by the grace of God. Don't, don't let your faith slip through your fingers now. He's not saying, my, you smell nice today. That's not what he's talking about. He's not giving them platitudes or, or compliments or flattery. He's not saying, hey, you should encourage one another and tell one another, I really like your hair today. Or, my, you've got, you, you, you read really well. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about something much more substantive. It's not just flattery or complimenting or patting someone on the back. It's not a spiritual high five. It's we're all in this together. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't let your faith falter. Don't take it for granted. Don't dismiss it. Don't be apathetic in your spiritual life. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying to these Christians. They're to be a part of one another's lives, that they're encouraging one another in meaningful ways. They're not just patting one another on the back. The funny thing about those encouragement days all those years ago was that it often, it often digressed into that. 
that somehow someone thought, I mean, it's a nice, we, we used to do this thing every, it, 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 I don't know that anybody does it anymore, but the camp would buy whole chickens because they're cheaper than chicken parts. So we would have a, a chicken processing day. The whole chickens would come in and we'd cut them into pieces. You cut the legs off, you cut the thighs off, you split the breasts, you save the backs for the stock for soup later. And we would get in the kitchen, all of us, these young people, and we'd start, we'd start breaking down these chickens. That's what we were doing, breaking down chickens. And one day, on encouragement day, someone comes up to me and says, Todd, you're really good with a knife. That's not really a spiritual compliment, right? That has all kinds of connotations, right? Great, I'm good with a knife. Let's not spread that around, right? It is a pacifist organization in the first. Like, let's not spread it around that Williams is good with a knife, right? The idea, though, is they thought that was encouraged. It is encouraged. Look, it made me feel good, but it's not the encouragement that the Bible's talking about. There's something more to this. Now, that other stuff is nice. It makes people feel good. It makes you feel good. But let's not allow that to replace biblical encouragement and exhortation. Let's not allow that to become the standard for building one another up. We need more than that. We need more than that. Well, why do we do this? Why do we exhort one another? Why do we encourage one another? Because we're one in Christ, and it strengthens the body, and we're commanded to do it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 9, it says this, For God's not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, in light of the gospel and what's been done for us in Jesus, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. From the very beginning, this is what the church does. From the very beginning, this is what Christians do. They edify one another. They encourage one another. They exhort one another. But I think we have a challenge because I think, and I do think, that it's crept into our ranks in the church. The culture confuses encouragement with affirmation. But the goal of biblical encouragement is not to make people feel better. It's to strengthen them. It's to hearten them. This is Christian edification. It is not affirmation to make you feel better about yourself. It's actually with the goal that you would become stronger in your faith, that you would be holding firmer, that you would be growing and developing, that you would take courage. That's Christian edification. We shouldn't let it be confused with this idea of affirming that all I need to do, like you come and you say, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really having a hard time with it. That's okay. Everybody has a hard time with it. That might make you feel better, but the issue is, look, I understand you're having a hard, it's understandable why you'd be having a hard time with it. Now what are we going to do next? Because if you're saying that this temptation is going to lead you to give up on your faith, then I have an obligation as a Christian brother to encourage you. That's not what we do as Christians. That's not what we do. The goal of encouragement is not just to make people feel better, but the goal of encouragement and exhortation isn't just to make us feel better either. It's not about earning points for being nice to others or getting out our frustrations on someone else. It's about the other. It's about wanting what is best for the other. Look, if you're in a relationship where all you're doing is exchanging platitudes with one another and flattering one another and exchanging compliments with one another and, and just trying to affirm one another where you are. What you're really doing is undermining 
what the Bible says is really possible when we actually speak to one another in truthful, loving ways that are about the other person becoming stronger, being strengthened in their faith, being encouraged in their discouragements and disappointments. It doesn't mean that we don't have empathy, but it means that we're not simply just trying to make you feel better. I think that in this way, what ends up happening is we, we move to something greater in our life together as Christians. And one of the things I think that's ha- that happens to us is we, we get this idea of encouragement and we do think about it that way, like, my, you smell nice today, or you always smell so good, or you always, you, you're, you, know, you always dress so nicely, or you're always, you're always holding the door for someone else. That's great. That makes you feel better. That's a great sort of, what you really mean by it is keep up with it, right? I mean, when we were raising our kids, that's what we did. If they did something that we liked, we encouraged them. That's really great. You should keep on doing that with the hopes that they would keep on doing that. And that's fine. But there's something else here that we sometimes fail to offer encouragement that's specific, that's developed, and that's biblical in its orientation. It's far easier and far faster to throw a few compliments at someone and hope they stick. But that's not a good substitute for real encouragement. Real encouragement requires something of you. Real exhortation requires something. It's not taking shots at someone. It actually requires you to invest in them, to be willing to speak into someone else's life. Again, when I was younger at the camp, there was this, there was this, this really intentional approach to discipleship that if there was something in your life that needed attention, we were going to deal with it. And there was one person who had their sight set on me, and I would see this person coming from a distance, and I knew that if that person had a Bible in their hand, I was in trouble, right? Because they were coming with a verse and several exhortations for me, right? And at the time, it stings, but the truth is that that person cared enough, it was done in love, may not have been done in the way that I would, I would choose to do it for myself, but it was, the, the issue was to help me get better and to help me get stronger, and it stings a little bit. But I think back now, what, what an incredible risk and, and, and vulnerability and investment that person made in my life to be willing to do that. Look, you live in a culture in a day and age where individual expression is so important that very few of you are willing to speak into another's life. To confront a sin, a temptation, a failing, a faltering, an apathy, an indifference. But that's what Christians do. They spur one another on to love and good. There will be friction. When Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friend, you understand that iron striking against iron makes sparks. There's molecular shifts that take place. Friction, and nothing gets sharper without that kind of friction. Encouragement and exhortation requires us to invest in someone else in a meaningful way. In a meaningful way. But I'm concerned because I think we live in a day that says, whoa, I'm, I'm going to leave you alone, you leave me alone. But if we fail when we see something in someone's life to speak to it, as this writer did with the letter to the Hebrew Christians. He saw what was going on and was concerned about it and wrote to them, oh, don't drift. Don't give up. Don't be very careful not to give up your faith. Don't be tempted in unbelief. If he would have left it go and said, you know, they're struggling, it'll be okay, they would have been adrift. They would have begun to turn. 
In our world where we don't want to step on anybody's toes or be seen as intolerant or judgmental, the temptation then is we're not speaking into one another's lives except to make one another feel good or to sympathize. Instead of seeking what makes you stronger, what strengthens your faith, what develops in you the kind of fortitude and perseverance that allows you to endure and press on. That's not real encouragement. That's not real exhortation. And exhortation often requires confrontation. It requires a risk on your part. It can't be done on the quick, from a distance, or with the wrong motive. But it must be done. It's what Christians do. Because the body is strengthened as a result of it. But it's interesting to me, when I read the New Testament, that the kinds of exhortations that take place, the kinds of encouragement that take place, it's always with the view that the primary exhortation and encouragement to one another is to hold the faith, to keep at it, to not lose heart or veer away. And we all need this. Listen, just for a moment, in honest reflection, ask yourself, do you know a brother or sister, a friend here at the university that is struggling with spiritual indifference and apathy? They're not taking the Lord seriously, the Word seriously, or their faith seriously. If you know somebody like that, you consider them a brother or sister in the Lord, then the primary exhortation and encouragement we offer is to speak to that, to lovingly come alongside. That's actually what the word means, parakaleo, to come alongside, to call alongside. It isn't done from a distance to get a pound of flesh or to, to, to pass some criticism or judgment along. It's actually with a view of what's in the best interest of someone else. You know, we live in a day that says if you really want to show love and encourage someone, you accept them right where they are. Actually, I love you too much to let you sit here in spiritual indifference and apathy. It's not what Christians do. We care about you too much to see you yield to temptation because after all, how could we expect more from you? No. No. We don't get to be flippant and indifferent and apathetic. In the moment of honest reflection, do you know somebody in your life that needs this kind of biblical encouragement, this kind of biblical exhortation? Are you willing to do that? If you're sitting here knowing that you need that kind of biblical encouragement or exhortation, are you willing to make yourself available and open and accessible to that kind of care from a brother or sister in the Lord? See, taking one another seriously means just that. Taking one another seriously means taking our responsibility and our obligation to one another seriously. The Community Life Covenant at this institution references something, our covenantal obligation to one another. It's a biblical notion. We are one in Christ. We are obligated to one another. So whether we're talking about the, whether we're talking about the sin of apathy and indifference or the sin of being negative and critical and judgmental or the sin of being prejudiced and racist or the sin of being uh, 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 flippant about our faith and our morality, whatever it is, we have an obligation to speak into one another's lives. And when it's done in love, because you put the other interests ahead of your own, that you consider others more significant than yourself, then it isn't about spiritual pride and it isn't about payment 
It's not about exacting justice. It's about showing Christian love to one another for the building up of one another, for the strengthening of the body and the glorification of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the life that you've given us together. We thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. We thank you for the hard sayings that it contains. We pray that your spirit would be at work in our midst collectively and at work in us individually to impress upon us our obligations to care for one another, to love one another, to speak into one another's lives. We pray, Father, that in the midst of all that is going on around us socially and culturally, you might keep us on the right path. We pray that with the temptations we are facing as a result of the health situation in America and the world, that you would give us grace and wisdom to push back against the temptation to isolate ourselves, to separate, to distance ourselves from one another. Also, Father, we pray that we would resist the temptation to put aside the deep and more meaningful things of life for the temporal and immediate superficial things. Father, for the social and cultural tension that exists between us, we pray that you might give us the boldness and courage, willingness, and the graciousness to speak into one another's lives, to confront wrong thinking and wrong judgments and wrong attitudes. But Father, above all, in a world where acceptance and affirmation are confused with encouragement, we pray that we might care for one another enough to care for the state of our eternal souls, to speak truth to one another, to encourage one another, to hold firm the faith, to not give up on our commitment to your Son, Jesus Christ, and to your Holy Word. Father, enable us, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, to exhort and to encourage and to build one another up, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen. Have a great day and a great week.